What's up, everyone? Welcome to Moments with the Marcelins. My name is June. My name is Stephanie. What are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about a glimpse into the ABA world. You may ask yourselves, like, what in the world is ABA? But honestly, it's a subject that's very important to June and I in regards to behavior. To just basically put it in its simplest form, it's basically a scientific approach to understanding behavior. ABA also refers to a set of principles that focus on how behaviors change, how behaviors are affected by the environment, as well as how learning takes place. We sat down with Morgan Garvelic, who is a board certified behavior analyst. And I want you to just go ahead and take out your notes. You're really going to learn a lot. And I believe that you're going to be blessed. Morgan, can you give us a little bit about, about your background in the field that you're currently working in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my background into the ABA world is uh, actually began by working with underprivileged youth uh, at a second chance school in Tallahassee, Florida. And this school had an integrated system using behavior analysis as its main form of support to these individuals. Um, so all of these individuals had been in some form kicked out, Baker acted, expelled. Um, and this was literally, I know they say second chance, but it was like their last chance. Um, at, being able to integrate back into kind of the mainstream school or have uh, independent life. And, um, and so it was really neat to, I actually started as a volunteer because I said, I just want to get in there. I want to see what it looks like. And that was a really life-changing moment for me. I actually changed my majors and I said, this is where I want to help out. This is, I didn't even realize there is something that can be done systematically to make such life-changing adjustments to somebody. Um, so that's how I started. And it was, you know, high intensity, but big changes, um, really big rewards. And so from there, I finished studying at Florida State University and then moved to Orlando and was able to work more in the field of ABA and center and home environments with autistic individuals and other developmental delays um, and emotional behavioral disorders. That's so exciting. And so for someone listening in for the first time and being introduced to ABA, what is ABA? (laughs) What does that stand for? And then how long has it actually been around? Yeah. So ABA is the acronym that stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. And really, it's just applying or using the science of behavior to teach, shape, or modify behavior. Um, Sounds simple, but it actually involves a whole bunch of things. Uh, I'm going to give you kind of a brief timeline of milestone events of where it kind of started and came from. Kind of goes back pretty far. So the pre-starts of it um, are in 1913, where John B. Watson publishes and kind of makes it formal, the psychology as the behaviorist. That's the first time we get it out to the world that there is something in psychology with behavior. Um, and then 1932, Skinner describes the operant conditioning. Um, and then in 1938, we now have programs at a university level for undergraduate and graduate in behavior analysis. Then we, in 1943, we get the concept of shaping. So not just teaching a new behavior and wrapped in a chamber. We actually have that you can, you know, kind of nicely shape up these new behaviors. Um, then in 1958, we have a journal published. 1968, we get the dimensions of behavior. Um, Then in 1968, super crucial milestone to the development of ABA, um, Lovas actually expanded on previous work and recommended something called errorless learning, 
for discrete trial training with the 40-hour recommendation. And if anyone's familiar with ABA, this is where we get that comprehensive case of 30 to 40 hours a week. Oftentimes it's questioned why. Like it's actually based on research from 1960s. Um, that's where that comes from. Um, and then we've got 1974 uh, potty training in less than a day. A book was published on that. So that's <laughs> has now become international bestseller. Everyone, yeah, everyone needs potty training. And then we have in 1977, Aubrey Daniels posts a book about organizational behavior management. So now it also extends to different domains. And then in 1998, and that we've got the board has been established. So, a, you know, a national way of certifying and overseeing um, ABA. So who is the Encastle um, Centers? And what do they provide? What services do they provide? Yeah, so Sandcastle Centers is actually a product of two companies merging together, JKP Analysts and Turning Point. Um, JKP Analysts was founded by Dr. Joshua Pritchard and had started um, through multiple ways, but how I came to know him was he had ended up founding a school for severe autistic individuals and then also had been consulting on so many cases in the area of clients who kind of got stuck at other places, whether it's because, um, you know, you just weren't getting somewhere with new acquisition skills or feeding programs or they had really severe maladaptive dangerous behaviors. And so he was consulting on so many of these cases. There was just such a need. He created a center to serve them. And then some of them weren't at the capacity to be in a center. And so he then created a home department. So that's how JKP started and then, then grew through, you know, Southeast region, turning point, kind of a similar thing, but in the Northeast. So as it grew down and we grew up, <laughs> it was kind of a natural merge of the two. Um, and then the services that Sandcastle provides um, kind of all forms of ABA for early intervention and then targeted program um, therapy, so feeding therapy, social skills, communication. And the service that the center provides includes, but is not limited to autism. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's um, probably one of the biggest misconceptions. ABA is not just for autistic individuals or even just with um, developmental delays or, you know, a diagnosis. Wow, that's great. So my next question is the following. What are some early signs and indicators that a child may be on the spectrum and what should the next steps be for the family or caregiver? Yeah, so um, kind of those possible red flags um, could be not hitting milestones. You know, essentially you go to the CDC, check milestones, make sure that they're hitting them along the way. Um, some common ones are not playing pretend games. So by 18 months, they should already be kind of pretending to feed a doll or pretending to fly an airplane. Um, it, having trouble understanding other people's feelings or talking about their own feelings. This can happen at a very young age. So, ouch, I'm hurt. That uh, type of communication should begin. Um, if mommy, you know, falls and that should be a go to hug or go to kiss. Those types of reciprocal emotional behavior should start young. Um, so if you're not seeing those, Absolutely go, ask your pediatrician, go seek out um, a psychologist, seek out a psychiatrist. It's what they do and they're there to help. Um, there's actually, so that's one thing, if you look on the internet, sometimes they say there's no test to actually determine. And there's not, there's not a blood test, but there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
1-800-799-8899 quick test that you can find. Um, so like there is an autism diagnostic schedule, Vineland social responsiveness scale, Weschler's intelligence scale, Ilium autism rating scale, Connors, Achenbach, PDBBI, SRS2. There are a lot of things um, that are absolutely there and resources available. So if you see the warning signs, you know, go to a doctor. How early can a child be diagnosed um, on the spectrum as well? Yeah, so with milestones, that can actually be seen pretty early. So if they're starting to miss milestones at 9, 18 months, you can start seeing warning flags then. So as far as autism diagnosis is in my personal experience, I have seen them as young as 18 months, 24 months. Mm -hmm. uh, so that it, is, it is not too early to check for a warning sign at any age. Mm. I want to read an excerpt from the website, and it says the following. We tackle behavior issues others can't solve. We train parents and caregivers to recognize and understand the underlying mechanisms in place. Can you elaborate on how this is done at the center? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that we require is parent training or caregiver training. We encompass it to caregivers because sometimes it's not just the parents. Um, who are involved in raising this individual. It's grandparents, it's aunts and uncles, it's older siblings. So it's the caregivers that we require to be part of this training. And we start with the prerequisite skills and then go to teaching how to handle maladaptive behaviors with the escalation. Sometimes that just involves what your stance looks like. Um, so we go through all of those prerequisite skills and then teach the foundational skills. Our often said within the field, we have the silliest <laughs> idea because our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. Mm. We want to be able to give you the resources to continue our work without us. That is our goal. If we're able to no longer have a job because you have the skills and resources to do our programs without us, that is an ideal situation. And that is why we can tackle behaviors others can't because um, it's not just us working on it. It's not just one clinician. It's all of our clinicians together. It's all of the caretakers. It's the entire family working as one unit for the success of this individual. Wow, that's amazing. I love how you said that you're trying to work yourself out of a job. Because how many times, I don't hear that in, in many fields where it's like, I need your service to continue. You know what I mean? Mm. You're providing the resource to the caregivers, the parents, you know, the loved ones to ensure that they, you know, this child um, is successful and to adulthood and adulthood and any other milestones that they may need to reach as well. So that is right. amazing. Right. Because things come up, you know, you can start with a client as you see, you know, red flags, warning signs may be diagnosed at a young age. Yeah. Doesn't mean that something new is not going to pop up when they hit adolescence. Doesn't mean something new is not going to pop up when they hit, you know, older that doesn't mean they need to come back to ABA every time. We're here if they need to, absolutely, where it will be effective at any point in life. But I would rather the caretakers have those skills or the individual have those self-management skills. So when things do pop up, okay, cool, how do we tackle this problem? How do we go through it? Um, it's much more um, successful if they have those skills to be independent and have a higher quality of life on their own. Obviously, right now we're living in a, you know, pandemic with COVID and there's so many different things that it has, um, you know, really altered and changed, you know, from our norm. Um, 
you know, you work in a center where, you know, the children are brought to you, but also, you know, you also go into the home and provide these services and resources. Um, you know, what um, modifications did you guys have to make in order to continue to service, um, you know, our, these children? And, you know, what um, were they? And, you know, how did you guys kind of manage and really pivot, which I feel like this is a word for us this year, is kind of pivot, yeah. you know, um, to continue um, in your mission and your goal? Yeah, so it was a great test at adaptability for our field probably as a whole. Um, so for us personally, we shut down our center um, because we had you know large groups of people together, our staff and our clients. We've just deemed these services as medically necessary. This treatment can't be stopped, right? I know a pandemic is going on, but doesn't mean these kids no longer need help. What are these families mm -hmm. gonna do? Um, so we really wanted to ensure there was a way where we could safely provide them services. Um, so we went through and we talked with each parent on an individual basis. We talked with each staff on an individual basis and we went family to family, staff to staff and paired them up. So we could find a staff and a family that were comfortable with one staff going into one family's house and providing them services during that time. It may mean that they had a few shorter hours, depending on what their comfortability was. Um, they were doing temperature screenings every day of both client and staff. They were doing extra sanitation processes before and afterwards. There had to be a designated space for therapy to be provided. Um, so there definitely were some restrictions, but we were able to continue services given those modifications. And then to reopen the center, we did it in phases. So those who had been receiving in-person services in home stayed until one of the last waves. And then those who were at a higher capacity and higher skill set to be able to sit at a computer and do virtual treatment. So they had their caretaker next to them and a clinician on the other side, they were the first ones to come back to the center in person because um, and a lot of research has now been posted out about virtual ABA treatment, um, but there hadn't been before. So it, when we don't have evidence-based treatment. We prefer to go with the evidence-based treatment that we do have. So those were the first families to return to the center. And now we actually still are doing temperature checks, masks, and um, parents don't come into the lobby to drop off. They text at arrival. We text confirmation when the tech is available and it's come to the door, temperature check. Okay, great, confirmation, take your child back for services. So I would like to read another excerpt from your website and it states the following. ABA can effectively address all behaviors for all children, not just behaviors that need to be reduced. We can also implement plans to increase behaviors you want to see more of. Can you give us an, a couple of examples of this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the first examples that comes to my head is uh, children yelling out in the classroom. The behavior we want to see more of is raising your hand before calling out. That's absolutely something that we can work on. So instead of calling out, they're going to be raising their hand. We see more of that. Um, eating more appropriate foods. How many times? I just want him to eat vegetables. Like he doesn't like them. Well, that's something we can work on. We can increase that. Playing with friends. He just likes to be in his room on video games. Okay, so you want him to play with friends in real life. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we could do that. Um, back and forth conversations. He just says hi, bye. That's it. Cool. We can do that. Increasing the back and forth conversation or talking about something that's not their preferred topic. Oh, he talk about it if he likes it. Ah, 
well, we can teach talking about things and increasing conversations on non-preferred topics. And I've seen you in action. I had the opportunity to work with you for a little under a year. And uh, it, it's funny how I came to the field because I was just kind of like, <laughs> like looking for it. This was something that I wasn't used to. And I gave it a shot. And I don't know if you remember on my application, like in the title, I put like ABA. And like, I guess you called me immediately after that. You're like, hey, you have experience in this? I was like, no, I just kind of like put it in the title. So that's just a note out there, man. Make sure your resume looks back because even looks good because even if you don't have the experience you might get a call back and so <laughs> you know what's interesting is that like I came into the field like thinking that I was going to be able to you know I, I guess I came in with the mindset okay I'm going to help these these children and these teenagers but man like it was it went way beyond that like I was I was so blessed in my time there and uh, I, I tell Stephanie this all the time. This is probably one, if not the greatest work teams I've ever been a part of because yeah. of just how you all are so professional and so helpful. And I got to see you in action and, and, and be able to learn for you. And I'm so thankful for that opportunity mm -hmm. that I was able to, you know, to have, to have and to be able to learn. I learned not only about, you know, the field itself, but I learned a lot about myself as well. And so I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, thankful for that opportunity. And so with that, uh, because I, I came in with a mindset. And so what would you say are some of the most common misconceptions that people have and stigmas about uh, ABA or, or children dealing with autism? Yeah. Uh, so for children with autism, there's kind of different levels of those misconceptions. So um, I've heard misconceptions of that it's obvious when an individual is affected, uh, you know, you'll know, not necessarily. Sometimes the warning flags are pretty low in a radar. Um, misconception is there's nothing you can do. Uh, yeah, absolutely you can. There's so many resources available and there's so much that you can do that it's to the point where those barriers are no longer barriers and they're very successful individuals that they'll possibly never understand social norms. That's a huge misconception. Um, you can absolutely teach us. One of those behaviors that you can increase um, and you can teach. Misconception about ABA is that it, you know, seated at um, some TV shows is, you know, you do something, you pocket it with chocolate. You know, a lot of edible reinforcers or a lot of that positive punishment that spray them with water. Um, you know, and archaically, that's where the field came from, but it did not do us justice because we have evolved a lot since then. Um, we've created a board of ethics, right, to make sure that it's not, um, you know, one standardized treatment for all, that it's based on function, that it's catered towards social validity, that it's considering the age of the client in mind um, and the appropriate cultural norms uh, going on. So, you know, one of the things for sure in ABA is that, you know, it's driven by insurance and hours are just handed out regardless of medical need. Um, so those are a lot of misconceptions and stigmas that are hopefully, depending on who you're working with, it's just not true. It's, it's really evidence-based and has come a long way. And for the individuals themselves, you know, there, there is no limit on the progress they can make. I've seen some individuals make so much progress. I would say they have far better social skills than I do at some points. 
Um, which may not be saying much for myself. But. Not at all. I, you are amazing. Thank you for clearing up those misconceptions. What would you say are some of the milestones that have been reached in the ABA field? Along with that, I know that you have also seen firsthand a lot of stories and a lot of successes. Um, so would you mind sharing, you know, some of those as well from for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So some big milestones in the field, um, would be probably that ethical standard that was created. Um, so setting that out, aligning that, it goes through for not only client privileges, but also for staff and the way that, you know, supervisors should be interacting with supervisees and making sure that uh, things are being monitored appropriately, but that also clients are being treated with dignity. Um, creating a board, so that way there are standards across the field. Um, and then being able to, you know, scientifically show that ABA is helpful for all different types of behaviors. If you have a you know, individual who is doing okay in school, but is just slightly behind, but has no developmental delays and have no other diagnoses, ABA is still a really, really effective way of increasing that. Um, ABA can work with, you know, clients who are depressed. ABA can work with so many different things. Um, and I think those are huge milestones for the field. Um, as far as hard to kind of pick out the things that I've seen, because uh, each day is kind of like mini miracles every time. It's really, really neat um, just to see the ways that, um, you know, ABA affects people. And I think as June had mentioned, it, it is needed. It not only impacts the clients, but it impacts staff, you know, together and working with the clients. Um, it really is a joy. Um, I mean, I, I've seen kids come into the center nonverbal, not communicating whatsoever, not uttering sounds. And through shaping procedures, they are now communicating using, you know, single words and saying hi and bye and saying mommy for the first time. Um, and that's just amazing to me that we can work, teach language acquisition, being able to transition going from being at our center every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 4 p.m., intensive therapy, to then being transitioned to a mainstream classroom, not just a classroom with supports, but a classroom of 30 kids, one teacher. Um, that's, it's meaningful. <laughs> going to college, getting a job, done vocational training. Now you're a successful person in the community, can have a quality life getting a girlfriend like you know these are really meaningful milestones in people's life that ABA has been able to have an impact and a hand in helping and it's kind of more of a pleasure and a blessing for us um you know that we're able to assist in this and there's a system that allows us to wow that's great and as you were saying those things I was reminded of the little miracles that I was able to see every day. It's, it's such a, a, a beautiful thing. Are there any final thoughts, anything that hasn't been covered that you would like to share for our listeners? Right, I love it. Just talking with you guys, you are really thorough in everything that you go through. Um, I mean, if I could leave final words, I would say, you know, seek answers. If you have questions, seek it out. Um, there are tons of resources, use them. But do due diligence. Check where those resources are being posted. You know, online's phenomenal, but anyone can post online. So check it, be thorough, and make sure if you are going to pursue a therapy, 
feel comfortable with it. Make sure it's right for you and your family. And you I always tell my families this, like, you know what's best for your child. We can show you a plan. We can individualize something. And what we're suggesting is based on our best medical evaluation and, you know, evidence-based research, but you know your child, you, you know, you need to do what's best for them too. And if I can ask one more question, there are hundreds of thousands of families that may be aware or maybe are unaware of the services that are out there for them. Um, I can only imagine the weight of caring for someone. Um, and, you know, maybe there's certain things that they're able or not able to do depending on, you know, where they are in their development. Um, and certain diagnoses that kind of just come left field. They, they never expected this to be part of their story. Um, and obviously you on the other end of that, of someone providing the resources for them, what words of just encouragement would you leave for them? You know what I mean? As they're navigating, you know what I mean? So many things, the care of their loved one, you know what I mean? A pandemic that they don't know, you know, when they're going to come back to normal. Um, and ultimately what you shared that I honestly felt um, that you left me with, the little miracles that you're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. What words of encouragement would you share with them? Welcome. Welcome to the journey. I mean, this, it, it is not an end. It's not a bad thing. This is a new experience. This is something that you have now joined this family. There are so many support. There is just a new world that you're stepping into that is phenomenal. There are so many beautiful things coming your way. Welcome. You know, it's, it's going up from here. Wow, that was such a great conversation. And it brought back so many memories of my time there at uh, St. Castle Center. Yeah, until this day, you really talk about, you know, moments with children and, you know, even with your coworkers um, that really impact in your life. What was one memory that you can uh, share with us that you hold dear to your heart? Wow, there were so many moments kind of to touch on what Morgan said, miracles every day. But mm -hmm. if I can specifically think of one occasion, we had a parent bring her daughter in for behavior consultation. And, you know, as the consultation is taking place, she's noticing that her daughter is engaging with other kids as well as the behavior analyst. And she was just brought to tears because this was the first time that she was seeing her daughter do things that she at the time could not imagine. And so to mm -hmm. see the impact that it left on the parent was very, it was such a beautiful moment. And those were just, that was just one of many moments that just kind of stood out to me and that resonated with me still to this day. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful memory. It really just goes to show that God works in different ways and that it's not always in a church setting. You know, it's not always in, you know, a hospital setting. It's not always in, you know, just things, you know, that we may think as these huge moments in in life or in our Christian walk but he is in the mundane he is in the everyday and we wanted to share this conversation with you so you can see that that even in your life today there are miracles still happening and we hope that you enjoyed this episode um, if you have any questions feel free to dm us or email us at info at mmoments.co thank you so much for tuning in Take care, God bless, and, and much, much love. love.